Was that your first time in Paris? No, no, actually I've, I've once every few years, I want to say it was maybe like my seventh time or something, seventh or eighth time. Oh, you're a veteran. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'll have to get some tips from you. This has nothing to do with your movie, but it's totally cool. It's totally cool. You also posted some good food too. Yeah, yeah. We ate a lot. You have to if you're in France. Yo, welcome to my summer layer. I'm your host Sammy. Blue Mix is my favorite shisha flavor. Yunnan. I also like mint if you've never had a blue mix. It's delicious. Toronto is an Iranian meat cube, which, as the title suggests, is set in Toronto. That, that's a lot to unpack. Your soon-to-be couple is Baddy and Sharon. Baddy is played by Sammy Azero, while Sharon is played by the guest of this My Summer Layer episode, Mo Zagami. Like every romantic comedy, you can't just have a couple of good-looking people meet and then cut to they live happily ever after. That'd be a short and rather dull movie. Interestingly, this time, the obstacles to the romance are cultural. And not necessarily in a Romeo and Juliet kind of way. Sharon is a painter who lives in Richmond Hill. That's her passion. What's not her passion is her culture. Mm-mm. She's indifferent to her Persian culture. Mm-mm. If you ask her, she'll tell you she's Canadian and busy too since she's studying for her parental mandated real estate exam. So complicating her life, but in that good complicated way, is Batty, who's enthusiastic about his roots and eventually passionate about Sharon. Here's a clip from the trailer. You know the guy I was telling you about? He's actually not as bad as I thought. Are you going to see him again? She's never had a Persian boyfriend before. <laughs> not a boyfriend. You're right, Sharon isn't my real name. So what's your real name? Shirin. You know, I'll be calling you Shirin from now on. I'll allow it. I might actually bail on real estate, open up an art gallery or something. But if painting and art is what you're passionate about, then you should do that. I'm open with you, Danny, but your baba is old-fashioned. A man comes into our house saying he's interested in a daughter, I expect him to be able to provide for her. I can provide for myself. Just thinking about my family back home. I just really wish I could do something about it. You can't hate your origins, not end up hating yourself. You talk like you know what's best for a country you left 13 years ago. It's not your place. I'm scared, Shane. Of what? I'm facing myself. Interesting flavor, eh? My conversation with Mo covers the burden of having immigrant parents. We question Canada's multicultural claims. Her favorite rom-coms. That's going to start the debate. And it all starts with me asking her to be honest, open and honest about her feelings about bacon. Mmm, bacon. Sound, the final frontier. My Summer Lair is an enterprise, a pop culture voyage with a continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new creators and celebrate established producers, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now here is your host, Sammy Yunan. I want to start with a, uh, a food-related question, because we were kind of talking about uh, your trip to France and you're talking about food. There's a scene in your uh, movie, Toronto, uh, and your character is on this date, and she has a lot of contempt for bacon. 
And the boy that she's on this date with is all excited and he's giddy about bacon. And you, Sharon, the actor and the, the character, you're not impressed by bacon. Was this method acting or were like, do you have different emotions about bacon? What are your genuine bacon feelings? We got to start there. I love bacon. So that was definitely one of the harder parts was trying to convince myself for the sake of the scene <laughs> that I was disgusted by it because I, I love bacon. Like mm. that is my ideal breakfast food. Okay. Uh, is it just for breakfast or do you have it any time? Like you put it on like anything? Oh, I'll, I'll put it on a salad, which was funny because Sharon was so disgusted by it. But mm. I love bacon in my salad. I love bacon in a sandwich. I love bacon with eggs. I don't discriminate. Okay, good. So that was some good acting then already. So we're off to a good start. <laughs> <laughs> right. So uh, Toronto is a romantic comedy. Which of those two aspects, uh, when you signed on to the project, were you kind of excited about? Was it the romance or was it the comedy? It was it was a bit of both. I mean, I love a rom-com. Like, who doesn't? They're so relatable and everyone can see themselves in a rom-com. But I think what excited me about it was that it was a rom-com about Iranian people. Mm -hmm. Because we never see that. We just usually always see the same type of face, the same type of actor doing the same kind of thing. And I think our culture is great and it's full of fun and love and celebration. And so I thought, what better culture to fit into the rom-com genre than Persian culture. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you have like some favorite romantic comedies? I think that Devil Wears Prada is a romantic comedy, but not because, and it is my favorite romantic comedy, but not because of Andy and her boyfriend, but because of Andy and Miranda Priestly. I believe there's a romance there and I love it and I eat it up and I've watched <laughs> that movie maybe 15 times. Um, Pretty Woman is also something that I can watch over and over again and I never get tired of. Uh, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. I could keep going. 51st Dates. Like, I'm, I was born in the 90s, so all those 2000s rom-coms yeah. I am obsessed with. Is that the secret for you for a good romantic comedy? Because it seems to be chemistry is like what's kind of like the theme of what you're talking about, the ones that you like. Yeah, absolutely. I think when you can see that two people are having fun on screen together, that's what makes it fun to watch because it feels authentic, right? Like I, I'm sure we've all seen movies where you just cannot buy that the two love interests are actually... Mm -hmm in love or enjoying each other's company or have some sort of chemistry. And, and like, even, you know, I, I do theater too. And it's the same thing with theater. If you work well with the person that's playing opposite of you and you enjoy their company and you can banter and chat and have fun outside of work, I think that makes it all the more fun to watch. Yeah. Cause then it develops that like genuine friendship, especially if you're supposed to be quote unquote together right like... yes yes absolutely yeah and i think um the the awkward part about me and sammy's professional relationship was that one of the first scenes we filmed was the first kiss scene so we didn't really actually have a lot of time to get to know each other before that mm -hmm. and when we did, we had so much fun on set together. We actually got in trouble a lot because we would <laughs> not be able class. to stop laughing. 
talking during class, absolutely. And we would have to like do take after take after take because I would start laughing or he would start laughing and we just kept cracking each other up. And I think it shows in the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sure everyone that was working on the crew was really annoyed by it because we probably (laughs) wasted a lot of film and a lot of time. Yeah. But, but, you know, it, it made it so much more fun and so much easier to create that relationship on screen. Are you talking about the scene on uh, the Bloor Street Bridge, too, where the, the kids Yes, happened? the Bloor Viaduct. Yeah. Yeah. How was that, too, like filming something in Toronto where you have this, quote-unquote, alternative romance? The The movie's obviously called Toronto, which is so it's set in Toronto. Uh, like, was it fun to have this kind of alternative romance set in all these different scenes and different locations in Toronto? It was really cool. I I live in Toronto and I was born and raised in Richmond Hill, which is in the GTA. So I grew up being around all these places that we filmed in. So it was a really cool full circle moment to film my first feature in the city that I grew up in. And, you know, it came with its own challenges. Like one day we were filming in Kensington Market and people kept walking by and noticing that cameras were there and yelling or or waving to the camera and we would have to do things over and over again because of traffic noises Mm -hmm. or or you know hecklers but it it definitely kept things exciting and the the bloor viaduct scene was actually an exhausting night because we had to do the take over and over and over again of us walking down the bloor viaduct because of traffic and there was sound complications and, you know, there's so much noise in Toronto. And so we, I think wrapped that day at like 3am. I think wow. we shot that at 3am in the cold, mm-hmm. but it was definitely eventful filming in Toronto. It looked nice though with the blue lights too. Like everybody who hasn't seen the bridge, right. They kind of put these like the colored lights on there, like Niagara Falls. Right. So yeah, you get yeah. the extra kind of blue lights as you kind of like, as you said, lean in for that first kiss. Yeah, it's funny because it looks great. Mm -hmm. And when I was watching the scene, when I first watched the movie, I was like, oh, this actually looks not painful for us because it was so painful when we did it because it was freezing. Mm -hmm. It was definitely below zero, but we were wearing stuff that you would wear in the fall because that's where we were at that point in the movie. Mm -hmm. And it was late and we were tired and we were freezing our asses off. uh, But... I'm I'm glad that it turned out looking cute and wholesome and cozy. Yeah, yes. So that's good. <laughs> yeah, and it helps too because as you said, you grew up in Richmond Hill, you live in Toronto. Like sometimes too there's that awkward thing of like when you break up with somebody, you can't go back to certain locations or you <laughs> you can't go to certain hoods, right? Like, absolutely, absolutely. Like you can't go to your favorite takeout restaurant because they will probably be there on a Friday night. Right. So I think the movie actually captures the spirit of Toronto really well. And I think it's it is a love letter to Toronto, which is funny because when I when I accepted the role and we started filming, I didn't actually really think of Toronto as being a focal point. I just thought of it as the backdrop. Mm-hmm. But I think Faron, the director and, and the writer, did a really amazing job of also making that sort of one of the characters in the movie because mm-hmm. it does play such an important role. And it's one of those things where, like, you know, it's that weird thing of Toronto. And it kind of relates to the film, the characters that your your character struggles with. Toronto is in a lot of movies, but Toronto never plays itself. 
right? It the culture of Toronto yeah. never gets to be itself. It's always something else. It always has to be something else. It has this weird pressure to be something else. Yeah. So for once, Toronto's like, yo, here I am. Here's the CN Tower. Here's the blue <laughs> yes. duck. The, you know what I mean? Like these are some of the things we do, and it's so cool. Yeah, for sure. And I I think that was also really refreshing. Is we weren't pretending mm-hmm. that it was something else. Like we were just in Kensington Market, dealing with the people, dealing with the sounds, and it was Kensington Market, and, and you know, also, obviously, a big part of the movie is the uh, Iranian population in the GTA in Toronto, and so I think it was, it was really important for everything to look really authentic, and I think Farhan, like I said, did an awesome job of showing Toronto as it is, and you can really see its spirit, I think, in the movie. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned like the authenticity uh, when we were talking about romantic comedies. And I want to shift because you just mentioned the Iranian culture and the Iranian people that are in Toronto. Like the character you play, Sharon, she has a lot of tension with her heritage and her culture. There's a scene uh, with a cab driver where he gets all excited, right? When you get in the cab and he's like, oh, are you Iranian? And like he's all excited like a fellow countryman, countrywoman, right? And then she's obviously I know it's like a talkative cab driver. And so she's kind of like, I don't really have time for this. But she (laughs) kind of brushes them off. Sharon brushes them off. And she says, no, I'm Canadian. But there is still some honesty in her response the way that she kind of says, I'm Canadian. That's kind of how she views herself a little bit, I think. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I think throughout the movie, she starts to reclaim her Iranian identity. And and it's it's funny because that was something that I actually didn't realize I really felt or that wasn't an experience I thought I related to. And then while we were filming the movie, I realized that that was a parallel that Sharon and I shared that I never realized. I grew up being so embarrassed of my culture and always calling myself Canadian. And then I didn't feel Iranian enough when I hung out with my family that would visit from Iran. But then I didn't feel Canadian enough when I was hanging out with my truly white Canadian friends from school. And mm-hmm. so it was just this awkward tension. And and I think throughout the film, Sharon starts to fall in love with her culture and where she's from because of Batty. And she finds a new appreciation for it. And I honestly felt that way too. When I was filming the movie, I, it gave me a chance to kind of reintroduce myself to being Iranian. And, and now I'm, I'm so lucky to say that I'm, I am so proud to be Iranian and I love being an Iranian and I think we're the best and we're so much fun and our food is great. So yeah, I totally, I totally relate to that. Yeah, it is a weird thing because, like, same thing, like, my parents are immigrants, so they came here, I'm Egyptian. But then you try to, like, as you're growing up, you're trying to relate to this Canadian culture, and you're like, well, I don't like hockey, so that's, like, a weird thing, <laughs> right? And, like, uh, there's only so much you could do with maple syrup and things like that. Like, yeah. I'll, I, I'll go in for the poutine. I'm like, all right, you guys did a good job with the poutine. <laughs> but generally, like, it's a weird thing. And I think sometimes, too, even in the 80s and the 90s, as you were saying about the 90s, like, the there wasn't as much quote-unquote acceptance. I think Canada kind of prides itself on its multiculturalism, but there really wasn't. Like, even being something like a vegetarian in the 80s and 90s was like, <laughs> you're weird. What's wrong with you? Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? No, for sure. And, like, it's it's interesting that um, Sharon's dad actually brings up in the movie Sharon coming home one day when she was younger and 
being embarrassed about her food because the kids would make fun of her for it. And mm. I was never made fun of for the food that I brought, but I was always so insecure because I would be sitting next to Sally who had a bologna sandwich <laughs> and Justin who had like chicken and rice. Mm -hmm. And I had like this delicious gorma sabzi that my grandma <laughs> made, but yeah. I was so embarrassed because it felt weird and it was foreign quite literally it was foreign mm -hmm. to other people and and it's it like makes me sad to think that there's probably so many other children of immigrants or immigrants who feel that way because I know that if I felt that way and and I related with that in the movie I know there's so many immigrants and children of immigrants that feel that way because it, it doesn't have to do with being a rating right it has to do with being from somewhere other than here yeah. So, so I, I, I hope that, that that is something that other people can connect with, whether or not they're Iranian, because mm -hmm. that is the awesome thing about Canada is that we do have people from all over the world here. And like, I hope they see themselves represented in yeah. that. Don't forget the stinky jacket too, right? When your mom makes the yes, ethnic yes. food and then like. <laughs> yes, always, <laughs> yeah. always. And then you're like walking to school and you're smelling your sleeve and you're like, Oh my God, I can smell a little bit of it. It's yeah. really weird. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The yeah. jacket always dooms you. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? I always forget sometimes when mom's making something and then it's like, Oh, I didn't put the jacket away. So <laughs> I know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then this thing too, of like you just mentioned, like the idea of being immigrants, there's a weird pressure too, that the film kind of highlights. Uh, and I think it does a great job. Toronto, like it, it, it's a weird thing with immigrants because your parents come and they sacrifice all these things to get here, right? They leave the home countries. You said it doesn't matter which country they're coming from, but they sacrifice all these things. And then there's like this weird kind of unspoken pressure where like in your in your movie, for example, Sharon wants to be an artist, but she kind of knows she has to do real estate because her parents sacrifice so much. That's also kind of interesting. Like, do you also relate to that struggle as well? Because you're an actor, but you're also doing like law school. Right. So yeah. like the, it's kind of like you said, there's obvious parallels between you and Sharon. Yeah. And, and I think that the place it, it comes from for Sharon is very different than a place that it comes from for me. But when I was growing up, I always wanted to be two things, an actor and a lawyer. Mm -hmm. So it was actually never something that I felt guilted into doing. Um, I was able to go to theater school and and I still have an agent and I was able to film this movie and, um, you know, I still do that and I still send in self tapes to my agent every so often, but I'm also just doing law school now. And, and I think the really heartbreaking thing about what Sharon experiences is this guilt for pursuing what you really love because it's not enough or because it feels selfish, mm -hmm. right? Like we see as children of immigrants, our parents sacrifice so much and give up so much just for me to want to go to theater school and learn how to do a monologue in front of people, <laughs> you know? And, and I obviously don't feel that way about it, but that is how a lot of people do feel because it feels selfish. It feels like, you know, my parents came here with the clothes on their back and nothing else and some change in their pocket. And they, created this amazing life for me. And, and now if I pursue what I love, I can't give that back to them mm -hmm. or I can't create that own family and that lifestyle for my children. And so I, I think there's definitely something to be said about the guilt that children of immigrants feel and, 
And I think it stays with you your whole life. Like I was even talking to my mom about it and she said she felt that way about her parents, even though they immigrated from Iran to Germany when my mom was younger. Mm -hmm. And then they came to Canada. My mom said that she felt this immense pressure to take care of her parents. And she felt like she was never doing enough because they did so much for her. And so I think it kind of can become a generational trauma thing where you just feel guilty about making decisions for yourself and doing something that you want purely because you just want to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I, I, I hope that, yeah, yeah. And I, and I think that once we acknowledge that we can't be the best versions of ourselves and we can't show up for the people that we love, if we're forcing ourselves to do something other than what we love, then that's the worst thing we could do for our parents, right? Is Mm -hmm. pursue something that we don't love just to make them happy and then be miserable. All they want is for us to be happy. That's why they sacrificed everything. That's why they gave us this life. So we have to, you know, it's kind of that saying like, put your mask on and make sure you're breathing before you help someone else and put their mask on. You always have to remember to take care of yourself, especially as children of immigrants, like with that generational trauma, I really think we do undersell how much work we need to do on ourselves to kind of dismantle that, that sort of thing. It's a weird tension because, and that seems to be the theme of this conversation that those tensions, because they come to this country, like Canada, for example, like our family, both our families. And then it's like, here you go. You have all these amazing opportunities and you could do all these things or whatever. And then you're like, I want to go to like theater school. I want to be an actor. Well, like, no, no, no. Like, go be a lawyer or a doctor. Or something. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. it's kind of a weird thing. Like, you can do anything, but not really. Right? Like, yeah. 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 And it's, it's, it's just all comes down to guilt, right? And feeling like you don't deserve to pursue x y and z because your parents never had that opportunity but i i do think that hopefully what i see with younger people now is that the needle is moving a bit um and i'm i mean i'm still young but even people younger than me like my younger cousins who are teenagers i see them moving away from that so i hope that that becomes a constant mm-hmm. because I I still have guilt sometimes to this day. Like, you know, I wake up sometimes and I just feel bad that my life has been so easy comparatively to my parents. Um, But again, that's intergenerational trauma, right? Like I, I can only do the best I can be the best daughter I can. I can't beat myself up for being born at a time and a place and two parents who, who wanted to give me an amazing life. Mm -hmm. Is it weird for like when you meet with other Iranians and like you tell them that you're an actor, at least you have the law school thing to kind of back it up. Right. So you have the brown representation. <laughs> yeah. But generally, like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is it weird to like tell people like of your culture uh, that you're an actor? Like they almost look at your parents like how did you screw up? I I still I still now I'm I'm lucky because I can lead with the law school thing. That's what I'm saying. And that cushions it. <laughs> yeah. But like when when I was as of like two, three years ago, before I started applying for law school, I was only an actor and I could feel the judgment oozing off of people, mm-hmm. uh, specifically people that were older, not, not Iranians my age, but people maybe my parents' age or 
even people in my family, I could feel the judgment coming from them when I would say, well, yeah, I just graduated theater school. I'm an actor and I have a serving job because you have to serve Mm -hmm. to, to be a full-time working actor because you need that flexibility. And I, I still, I still feel like I was judged by quite a bit of my family about being an actor until Toronto happened. Now all these people are coming out of the woodwork and so excited because it's a movie and it's going to be in theaters and that's, that feels legitimate to them, Mm -hmm. but you know, it should have felt legitimate to them before. Right. Um, But there is absolutely this sort of dated view that older Iranians take. And I think older Southwest Asians in general, take that the arts aren't a, a valid career choice. Mm. Um, and like I said, because I see younger generations shifting from that narrative, they will grow older and they will teach their kids something else. But it is shitty that, you know, I have to deal with that or mm. I had to. And and a, I'm sure a plethora of other people have to deal with that as well. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's a weird thing for me to go into podcasting. Right. As an yeah, Egyptian. Yeah. Like it's uh, like, you know, for Iranians, can you clarify something? What is your go to's like for us as Egyptians? It's pharmacy, doctor and lawyer. Those are generally <laughs> the three where if you do one yeah. of those three, we have a lot of pharmacists and engineers, yes, too. Yeah. Are you guys uh, yes. the same way? Those are the. So it's 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 pretty close. I don't know if pharmacy is a thing, but doctor, lawyer are the top two you right. can do. Um that is like ultimate bragging rights if your kid goes into med school or law school. Yeah, it's over. And then over. there's en- yeah, yeah. It's it's done. And then there's um there is engineering, but I feel like I'm seeing a lot more dentists now. Oh, okay. I I feel like dentistry school has become a big deal recently. Like my cousin just graduated dentistry mm-hmm. school. I have two friends that are in dentistry school and they're all Persian. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think now, honestly, engineer has swapped out for dentistry. That's okay. That makes sense, right? It's just engineering fatigue, <laughs> right? Yes. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think it relates back to what you were saying before about like older generations, like, why are you an actor? Like that kind of judgment, because the way that they look at things, it's a safety thing where like, you're always going to need a doctor. Somebody always going to get yes. sick. Right. Somebody yeah. always going to need a dentist. Somebody's teeth is always going to fall yeah. out. Whereas like, yeah. And I think, yeah, you don't need Sorry, to be an actor. Yeah. Like who's going to always need an actor. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, I think it's also a stability thing for them, especially, especially people that are immigrants. Like they never had stability mm-hmm. in their lives, even when they were immigrating, even when they immigrated, still being somewhere that didn't really feel like home and, and, you know, getting new licenses and, and getting a new job and maybe becoming qualified in the work that you did back home here. There's never any stability for them until, you know, maybe decades into living somewhere. But I think that's the big thing is they don't feel like there's stability in the arts, Mm -hmm. which there's not, they're not wrong. Right. But it's just that I think because we're in such a privileged place as children of immigrants compared to them, we feel like we can take that risk, but they wouldn't understand pursuing something that wouldn't give you a stable income, you know, um, insurance that you will not lose employment in the drop of a hat if something were to happen, God forbid. Mm-hmm. So it's it's 
I can understand it. Absolutely. I can understand where they come from. Is it a different type of pressure too? Because you're female. There's a scene in Toronto, right? Where you bring baddie home to meet your dad for the first time. And your dad is like kind of old school. What we're talking about, right? We're like, he clearly is kind of putting that quote unquote pressure on Sharon to be the uh, real estate lady. And he says at one point, like asking Betty, how are you going to provide for my daughter? And then you pipe in and you're like, I can take care of myself, right? Like independent yeah. woman. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And then yeah. Yeah. Dad brushes you off because it's, that's not a factor. Like that's not, the, it's the very old school. So does that like, again, I guess mirror kind of what you're talking about, that scene from Toronto? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, absolutely it is not mirrored in my real life my dad has always been about girl power he <laughs> he has a bunch of sisters and i'm an only child and so he you know he he lived in a home with two women mm-hmm. for a good chunk of his life uh when it was just me and my mom and him and so i was lucky enough to never have to go through that i always felt like my choice and partner had nothing to do with their financial status or mm-hmm. the family they came from beyond their family being a good family. Right. Right. Um, I always felt like so long as I set my own goals and my own boundaries and my own standards and I fulfilled them, that was all that was necessary, but it absolutely still is a view that I think, unfortunately, a lot of old school Iranian dads hold. And I think there's this, there's this weird preciousness that the Iranian community gives to their women and their young girls. They think that they're, and again, I want to clarify that this is dated. This is not everybody. This is not a generalization, Mm -hmm. but this older view thinks that these women are more fragile and that they can't maybe go work a, an intense law job at a big law firm in New York city and bill hours and be under stress. And so there's this emphasis on finding a partner, a husband specifically that will be able to take care of you so you can take care of the kids. And, and it's, it's this, the reason I say it's weird preciousness is because it comes from a place of love and wanting to care for and, and take care of someone and be compassionate towards someone, but it's weird because it's misogynistic. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it, I'm sure it exists out there. I'm lucky enough that the men in my life and the men in my family don't feel that way, but I think that's an anomaly. It's a, it's the struggle between like uh, a parent, like raising a child. I don't have kids, but like a parent raising a child and you want them to be independent to a certain degree right but at, at certain levels so right like you know what i mean you don't want them yes. at like 16 and out all night and like drinking and smoking <laughs> yeah. and like that's a little too much independence yes. right but yeah, like you got to give them a certain amount of freedom and i think sometimes like you said it can veer into misogyny with the old school guys right where like it's just too it's just too much emphasis on you being a woman right rather than where you're at yeah. and, like your ability to make money or survive a law career in new york city yeah absolutely for sure and so as you're kind of balancing these two things, uh, law school and uh, like making movies like Toronto, like uh, I, the law school to me is an obvious thing. I can see how you can help people and you can connect with people and like serve people that way. But are you hoping that like a movie like this will have the kind of same impact and will like connect with the community and stuff even beyond your own community? Honestly, I feel like the movie and art in general 
will do more for for these kinds of social issues than I could do working in a corporate law firm. You know, there there are human rights lawyers, obviously, and um, lawyers who strictly dedicate their profession to being advocates for minorities. But I think art plays a way bigger role in these things than we realize. Like just the fact that, you know, rom-coms are always about white people mm-hmm. and then tragic, deep, dark movies are always about people of color. Like Persians are either terrorists or martyrs or something really tragic. Mm-hmm. And I feel like just seeing people of color in movies that are about love and laughter and family and fun and really relatable things like trying to find yourself, figuring out who you want to be, resolving an identity crisis, like issues that we can all relate to that aren't these deep layered tragic things. I think that totally addresses a lot of social issues that we have, which is that we don't see people of color as humans a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. When I say we, I'm I'm not talking about myself. I'm talking about people that have these these biases because maybe they did grow up in a rural southern town in Ontario that was only white people and they don't really know anything about people of color. And so all they can glean from these really deep, dark, tragic movies is that this is what people of color are. This is accurate representation and it's not. Mm -hmm. So I feel like honestly, movies and TV can do so much for these kinds of issues. We just have to start putting people of color in these roles that we usually give to Julia Roberts or George Clooney. And we got to include the the stinky ethnic food jacket too, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Get that on of the record. Of course, that, that, is the, that is the pillar of every immigrant ethnic experience yeah. is, is the stinky jacket. Yeah, the stinky jacket. <laughs> Uh, yeah. And so I know this movie is just opening up and you are, as I we kind of talked about it already, you're kind of busy with law school, but are you doing any more plays? Are you doing any more roles? Is there anything coming up that we can look forward to? Or is this the, the movie for now? You just want them to focus on that. As of right now, I just want everyone to go see this movie, whether or not you're Persian, it's funny, it's heartfelt. It's so relatable. Mm -hmm. There's so many jokes that you would get whether or not you're Persian. If you're a person and you've been in love and you've had your heart broken and you have parents and you've had a boyfriend or a girlfriend, you're going to relate to it. I think it's a super fun movie. And I think it's perfect for the holidays because rom-coms are perfect for the holidays. And and it's it's a feel-good movie. And I also think it's important to support Iranian filmmakers. Farhan, the director, I'm sure I know has other stuff in the works. So go and go and support him and and like just enjoy learning about something that is foreign to you. Mm-hmm. So please go see that movie. There we go. That's a positive note. We can end it there. We covered quite a bit. We covered. Yeah, uh, we did. We did. Yeah. <laughs> we covered Bacon. Uh, you're kind of like <laughs> <laughs> you're. Uh, yes your struggles with, I guess, the kind of cultural tensions and trying to resolve things and being in Canada and being a child of immigrants. And that uh, the movie is called Toronto. And that uh, I'll put all the, the screening details in the show notes for people to kind of go check it out. So thank you both awesome. for, like, hanging out. This was a lot of fun. Thanks so much, Sammy. So much fun. Thanks for having me.
Yo, that was actress Mo Zagami. You can catch her in Toronto playing in select cinemas before the movie does the usual digital release and then the streaming route. There are links in the show notes depending on when you actually listen to this. I'm curious to see how this movie will connect with audiences. Like most people, when you think of Iranian culture, usually it's the Clash song, Rock the Casbah, that comes to mind. Which I know is strange, it, but it's a song about the ban on Western music, including rock music, enforced in Iran since the Iranian Revolution. Pop culture is so connected, and you get influences from everywhere and everything. So I'm curious, because I, I, it's hard for culture to flourish when huge chunks of pop culture are banned. The revolution is referenced in Toronto, and that's what made me grateful, and that's what made me think of the Clash song. Grateful because we have that freedom here in Canada to tell these stories, any story. You, listening to this, you can get up to date and decide what story you want to hear. You can push play on Spotify. You can push play on Netflix. You can push play on uh, Audible. You can push play on Overcast, and so much more. Thank you, by the way, for pushing play on this podcast. But freedom means making good choices. Now that you have all these choices, you got to make good ones. Choose wisely. That's a lot of interesting pressure. Let me know if you've seen Toronto, what you think of it. Reach out to me. Here's a PSA. Sharing is caring. Has this recent pandemic made you shy about sharing? Do you find yourself closed off? Are you hiding your light under a bushel? Whatever a bushel is. Today. Right now. Choose. Life. Set yourself free from your emotional quarantine. Start small and share this My Summer Lair podcast. Take one small step and share it with one friend. Or if you feel up to it. Two friends. I know. Some wild and crazy people will post this episode on Facebook for everyone. But that's not where you're at. What is one small step you can take today to share my summer lair? They say sharing is caring. That's true. What's also true is that sharing is self-caring. So today. Right now. Care for yourself. And share this episode. Thank you for your courage. It means so much to Sammy, to all of us. If you'll excuse me, I have something in my eye. Thank you for listening to me in a Netflix world. See? Freedom and all those choices you got. Bacon, yo.